Heavenly Father, we just ask you to to rain down here this morning, Lord, to let your spirit fill this place, to, to bless the pastor, and let us hear from you, each one, as, as you would have what you would say to us, Father. We thank you for that. We thank you for this day, Lord, and for everyone's here. And we ask you to bless this service and let your spirit rule over everything. Amen. In Jesus' name. Walked on water 
made a blind man but his greatest was save you and me. His greatest miracle was save you and me. You are making 
things the Gentiles seek. For your Heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things, but say it with me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Hallelujah. And I got to say this, this verse really speaks to me because I've always been kind of a worrier. Um, you know, go to work, pay the bills, fix this, fix that. You know, the, the list doesn't normally end. It just grows. But Jesus isn't saying that when we seek him first that we won't have responsibility, but uh, he actually said the opposite, you know, for him that has, you know, more will be given. But, but what he is saying is that why are you worrying about things that don't matter? You know, why are you worrying about things that you can't control? Seek the Father first. Seek the kingdom of God first and see if your problems don't go away. Or better than that, seek God first and see if you don't start thinking differently about your problems. Hallelujah. You have a problem with someone you work with? Seek God first and see if you don't start thinking differently about them. You You have a problem with a teacher or a coach that you don't get along with? Seek God first and see if that relationship doesn't get better. There is no limit to what God can do in our lives when we make his will our will and when we seek him first. So, Lord, this morning we seek you first, Lord God. We lift you up and we lift up your name, Lord. We give you praise and glory. Hallelujah. We ask, Lord, come. Come this morning, Lord Jesus. We need you in our lives. Yes. We put you first in our lives, God, in every in every area, in every aspect of our lives, God. Yes. I put you Thank first you. in my job, yes, Jesus. in my finances, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. We put you first in our schools, Lord God. We put you first in this nation, Lord. Yes. We ask, come, have your way this morning, Lord God. We give you glory. Amen. Receive our worship, we pray in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. the 
to my knees. May I know Jesus more and more. Here I am waiting. Abide in me, I pray.
This time that I have left, all I have is worth. I place it at your feet, Lord. It's less than you deserve. Though I've little strength, though my days are few, you gave your life for me, so I will live my life for you. Like you spilled your blood, yes, thank you, Jesus. I spill my heart. As an offering to my King, and here I am. Take me as an offering. Here I am. Give me every heart for Your glory. give the devil that one. <laughs> Praise Father. Thank you, Father. I hope this doesn't speak to anyone, but if it does, my prayer is that you left it at the door today and bring it in. Just give it to the cross. Amen. He says we can do that no matter what our problems are. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Everyone who's lost someone they love Long before it was their time You feel like the days you had were not enough When you said goodbye And to all of the people with burdens and pains Keeping you back from your life You believe that there's nothing And there is no one who can make it right 
There is help for the hopeless, rest for the weary, love for the broken heart. There is grace and forgiveness, mercy and healing. He'll meet you wherever you are. Cry out to Jesus. That's broken and struggling. Lost all their faith in love. They've done all they can to make it right again. And still it's not enough. For the ones who can break the addictions and chains, try to give up. But you come back again Just remember you're not alone And your pain and your suffering There is help for the hopeless Rest for the weary Love for the broken heart There is grace and forgiveness Mercy and healing Feels like the whole world is falling in on you. You just reach out, you just cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. To the widow who's struggling, just to hang on. Wiping the tears from her eyes To the children around the world Without a home, say a prayer tonight There is help for the helpless Rest for the weary Love for the broken heart There is mercy and healing Thank you, Jesus. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You alone. Thank you, Jesus. With all fire with God. Yes, thank 
Jesus. encouragement. Speak words of correction, Lord. Breathe into us, Holy Spirit, life and freedom this morning. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you've made a way. You've made a way so that we can cry out to you. We can know you. We can come to you. You call us and you keep calling us. I thank you for that, Lord. Hallelujah. You are worthy, Lord. You alone are worthy. You alone are worthy. I encourage you just now, as we, if we just stay in the presence of the Lord, just allow Him to speak to you. Let the Lord speak to you. He speaks to us through His Word. He speaks to us through one another. He speaks to us through His voice. The Holy Spirit can bring a word of encouragement to you. Whatever you need right now, let the Lord bring that to you as we are in His presence and we're just waiting on Him waiting on you lord come now speak to us lord jesus thank you 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 I thank you that you alone have the words of life Lord there's nowhere else we can go no other person or source that we can turn to because you alone have the words of life that we need thank you Lord Jesus thank you Lord Jesus I'm going to invite Pastor Jeff to come now and he's going to lead us in a prayer for uh, remembering 911 and all that's gone on. It's been 20 years and uh, couldn't find a suitable video, but we're going to pray. Uh, as you know, yesterday was Patriots Day. And 20 years ago from yesterday, almost everyone knows where they were that day. It was a day that changed our nation, changed the way we live, the way we travel, and just made it hard. But we're not giving in to terror. That's right. Because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So, Lord Jesus, we just come before you, Lord, united as a people who come against terrorism, dear Lord. Lord, we pray for all the families of everyone who was killed on that day. Lord, we pray that you would just continue to provide for every need that they have. 
and that you continue to be their peace and their joy. Lord, we ask that you would just continue to touch our government, that, Lord, you would just allow them to open their eyes and ears to your truth. Allow this evil to be diminished, dear Lord. We come against the devil and all that he tries to throw at us, Lord. We rebuke him and we praise you, Lord, for you reign. Hallelujah. You are the king. Yes, sir. You are the one true God. Oh, hallelujah. And we know that you win. Yes, Yes, Jesus. So, Lord, we praise you and we thank you. Yes, sir. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You can be seated. At this time, I want to uh, get the lights back up and uh, I want to have Jonathan and John and Amber and Bonnie come. I, uh, and uh, Mitch, you can, uh, you can come also. Y'all come up here on the stage. We, we can get you up here. So what we're doing, this is, it's a little belated for uh, Amber and uh, Bonnie because they made a transition back at the beginning of the year. Uh, but for John and John, they have stepped up and said they're going to be uh, leaders over our youth. And uh, I just want to kind of get you an opportunity to lay, we're going to lay hands on them. You guys extend your hands and we're going to commission them that the Lord would anoint them and use them. Uh, John and John went to camp and they both came back saying, I, I want to work with the youth. And, uh, and so I said, okay, uh, how's that going to work? You know, two people. And uh, so we began to talk about it and, and we figured out that they can just share the responsibilities. And, uh, and then John Reed stepped up and said, I would like for John Goley to be the youth pastor and I will be his assistant. That's, that's good leadership. That's good humility. So I'm, I'm very pleased because that makes it simpler for me. I have one person that I can deal with primarily instead of trying to work with both of them on every single item. So the Lord is already blessing what we're doing. And I just want you guys to have an opportunity to, to participate with us. And so we're going to lay hands on them. You guys stretch your hands out and let's pray together. And so, Lord, thank you for the willingness for people to serve. And I thank you that, that you have called uh, Bonnie to work with, with our children. And now she's transitioned into working with the women and as an overall ministry coordinator. Lord, I pray for creative wisdom and anointing on her that she would do what she needs to do, Lord, to lead and guide and help in every area, Lord. Bless her works. Protect her, Lord God. Give her fruitfulness in every part of her life. In Jesus' name. And Lord, for Amber, she's stepping up to be the uh, children's director, and she's already been functioning in that capacity. But Lord, I pray that you would continue to give her creative anointing and wisdom. That you'd guide her, Lord, that you would fill her with uh, passion for children, Lord, that her love for children would grow and grow and grow. And Lord, that you would anoint and protect her, all the things that she does, cause her to be fruitful, Lord. And every bit of that. And Lord, for John and John, I pray blessing on them that you would lead them and guide them. That you would give them a creative anointing to hear from you, Lord. To teach and to lead and to honor you in all that they do. Protect them, Lord. Use them. Reach our youth now. Stir hearts and challenge people, Lord God, through these new leaders. And we pray that you protect their families and homes from the attacks of the enemy. That all the things they do would prosper because we're doing it in your name, Lord. We're not doing it for our own glory or our own satisfaction, but we're doing it for you and your kingdom alone. And I thank you for that. 
I thank you for all that you have done and are doing now. And I proclaim victory and peace and health and wholeness over these families and success in their ministries, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for your willingness to serve. And uh, I'm excited about what the Lord's going to do. And it's just beginning. We've had uh, a few Awana meetings already. And uh, John's been able to minister to the youth. And it's been, it's been good. And we're going to just get better and better and better as we go. Amen? Amen. Do you ever look at the, at the outline? You notice I don't always get through the outline. And um, this week, the last half of the outline, I, it may not be exactly, uh, it should have been a continuation of last week, but I think I kind of revised it. So anyway, it's a, it's a work in progress. What can I say? So God is good. I'm excited about what the Lord is doing and, uh, and the way he is working in our body. Um, we have... A steady stream of visitors come into our fellowship, and that's exciting. Uh, they don't all stay, but some do. And uh, the ones that stay, that's great. The ones that don't, we bless them. And I'm not going to worry about it either way. You know, you can't control it anyway. You can't control any of that. So we just do what we do, and, uh, and the Lord does what he does, and we all roll forward. And it's okay. And however it works out, it's okay. So... We're going to read this passage of Scripture again, Matthew 16, 13 to 19. And I want to read the passage again because it sets the tone for the, the context of everything that we're talking about. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this is a passage of scripture that has been taught and argued and frustrated people for years and years. And, you know, I'm not saying you're going to be all square when we get through with it, but I'm, I'm going to try to share some things that I hope will at least... Uh, set you on the right path and let you have a, a way of looking at it so that you're not confused. You know, there are some difficult passages in Scripture. And sometimes, when you don't understand a passage of Scripture, you can read a commentary and it will help. Sometimes you can read three or four or five different commentaries and you get three or four or five different helps. And... Uh, and sometimes you, you listen to a particular preacher or teacher about that, and, and you, if you buy into what they say, you know, then you begin to formulate a doctrine, and you begin to think about this passage of Scripture and things that it means in reference to what a particular teacher has said about it. 
And I'm not saying that anything about any of those is wrong or right necessarily. It's just we all have to try to do the best we can to figure out information. And so when we read a passage of scripture that is not clear to us or we don't understand everything about it, then it's normal and natural to ask the Lord first, I hope, to say, Lord, give me revelation. Give me some insight. Help me understand. What does this mean? And then, you know, we can look at some Greek words. We can look at... Um, you know, some commentary. We can listen to other people that talk about it, and then, then we can ask the Lord again, you know, okay, help me understand what, what is really what I need to be thinking about this. And so the Lord is faithful, and he will help us to understand the truth of his word. So the things that, that I want to say to you today, I believe, will help you understand this and give you some clarity about it. And I'm not going to go into every specific thing because, uh, well, I just don't think that's what we're going to do. I would rather talk about the general aspects of it and help you figure out how that works in our life. And then you can see how the Lord can reveal his truth to you individually. I told you last week this region that they were in when they told this to his disciples, it was Caesarea Philippi. It was a, a Gentile, a pagan uh, area. There was a lot of idolatrous worship there. And this, probably where they were, was right below a mountain, Mount Hermon. And that mountain at the bottom of it, there was a big cave. And there was a, it was a place of idolatrous worship. There's even some that say that that cave was known locally as the gates of hell because they believed that it was the pathway to the underworld, the pathway to the dead, the grave. And so Jesus could have said some of the things that he said uh, specifically relating to the fact that they were in this region and he was saying the gates of hell are not going to prevail against my church. I mean, this idolatrous worship, death, nothing about any of that is going to prevail because I have conquered all that. And then, of course, the controversy over centuries has been about the Peter's confession and what Jesus said to him and so Peter says you are the Christ the son of the living God that's a pretty huge uh, confession and he was acknowledging you know contrary to all the, the dead idols the ones that can't speak or do anything you are the living God and you, Jesus, are his son. That was a pretty big declaration. And Jesus said, you can't figure that out except the Lord reveals that to you. You can't figure it out in your own intellect, your own knowledge, your own information. Uh, that's the problem in the world today. Most everybody is seeking information. They're seeking knowledge. And the people who are trying to find out about the Lord, scientists and people like that, most of them, if they have any inkling about finding out the Lord, they're trying to find it through knowledge and information and science and technology. And Paul says those things are, they're not able to be understood in the natural mind. The only way you will ever understand them is through the Spirit. The Spirit has to reveal those things to us. So if you try to find God through religion or through organizations or through self-helps, or through information, you know, if I can just learn enough about it, I can be okay. You know, if I can just learn how to, to train my thoughts, 
I'll be okay. If I can just learn, if I can just, if I can. But the truth is, you can't really change yourself. I mean, it's like, it's like having a, a big gaping wound that's just gushing blood. And you say, honey, I need a Band-Aid. You know, I mean, that's, that's what that's about like. You have a problem in your life that is so big and so overwhelming and so problematic that you cannot fix it by all of your efforts. I mean, it's like Humpty Dumpty, baby. You can do all that, but you're not getting put back together again except spiritually. It is not going to happen. But the world tries to do that, and they try to tell you that that's, that's how you fix your problems. You know, you just read another book, you, you listen to my broadcast, you send me some money, and I'll send you a tape, or, you know, you buy this product, or whatever. And I'm not saying that some of those things might not be good, but that's not the solution. That's not the answer to your problem. Jesus is the answer to your problem. Jesus is always the answer to your problem. So Peter was foundational. Jesus told him, he said, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. Um, I think Peter was significant in the early church. He was, he was one of the twelve. He, he was with Jesus. He was, uh, he was with Jesus before he was crucified. He was with him again after he was crucified. Uh, and there was, there was a pretty big change in Peter. Before, he was doing things, I think, primarily in his own wisdom and knowledge and strength and his flesh. You know, he tried to do things. But Peter did, he did have a significant place in the early church. But uh, in, the, in his life before Jesus was crucified, Peter was really just very impulsive. And he would jump out there and do something, and some of it was good, just like his confession of faith. Right after that, he, you know, he got in the flesh, and Jesus had to rebuke him. Uh, he jumped out of the boat, and then he started sinking. Jesus had to save him. Uh, and, you know, Jesus was in the garden praying. And Peter you know, tried to defend him, lopped off a guy's ear. I mean, he, he wasn't a bad guy. He just was trying really hard in his flesh. But after the resurrection, some things happened. Jesus appeared to the disciples, and in John 21, it says that Jesus came to him, and, and Peter had already, he basically had given up. He told his buddies, the disciples, he said, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to fishing. And the way that is worded in the original language, it means I'm going back to my former occupation. You know, I'm done. And so they're out there fishing, and Jesus shows up. And he calls Peter, and this was, you know, Peter denied Christ three times during the crucifixion. And so Jesus, you know, they fished all night. They hadn't caught anything. He said, put your net on the other side of the boat, and they catch this big, huge deal. And then they realize it was Jesus. And Peter, man, I mean, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, i got to get my act together. He put on his cloak, and then he plunged into the water, and he swam ashore and left his buddies to deal with a big load of fish. And then Jesus had this conversation with him. And, and, you know, you've heard multiple sermons and teachings about this. But So Peter had denied Christ three times. And Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me more than these fish, than this occupation that you've gone to? 
And Jesus asked him, you know, he said, do you agape, do you love me with the godly love? And Peter said, oh, yeah, Lord, you know I like you. Nothing quite like that as a young person, you know, when you, you tell someone, I love you, and they say, okay, I like you too. And it's like, hmm, you know, not reciprocated. So Jesus, he said, Peter, do you love me more than these? And I think he was giving him an opportunity to, to make up for his three denials. Here's a chance for you to say, yeah, I love you, and I'm willing to die for you, just like I said I was. And then Jesus asked him the same question again. He said, do you love me more than these? And Peter said, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. I like you. I care about you. You're my friend. He didn't say I agape you. He said, I phileo you. I, you know, you're like a friend to me. And then Jesus asked him the third time, Peter, do you like me more than these? Peter said, and the Bible says that it, it disturbed Peter, it agitated him, it bothered him that Jesus asked him three times, the third time. He said, yeah, Lord, I, I, you, know, you know I like you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Time for you to step up and begin to do what you were called to do. You were supposed to be a fisher of men, not a fish. And now I'm calling you to step up and begin to do what you're supposed to do. So this was after the resurrection. And then uh, I think that was significant because, you know, you couldn't really be born again, technically, until Jesus became the sacrifice for your new birth. And so... Peter and the other disciples, they were following the Lord just like people had followed the Lord for hundreds of years in the Old Covenant. They were, they were choosing to follow Him. They were obeying Him as best they could. But it wasn't, it wasn't like you and I because we have the opportunity to have Jesus live in us and His Spirit indwell us. That's different. So Peter, after the resurrection, he began to see that things were different. He began to change but Jesus was calling him as a foundational leader of the early church. He was telling him, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to step up and begin to do the things that you're supposed to do. And then in the upper room, you remember that in Acts 1? They were sitting around praying, waiting for the, for the Holy Spirit to come and trying to figure out what to do next. Peter says he stood up and said, well, you know what the scripture says about you know, Jesus, you know, dying and, and, uh, and you know, all, he started quoting scripture and he said, and one of his followers, you know, was going to have to be replaced. And so I make a nomination. Let's, uh, let's replace them. You know, and so they, they cast lots and they chose Matthias. That's pretty, that's pretty significant. I mean, Peter actually said, let's replace Judas, one of the 12, with another person that can fill that role. And so they selected Matthias. By the way, you never hear of Matthias again. You know, it was, uh, he was not really significant to anything that we hear about in church history. So I would just say to you that Peter was still, even though he was trying, he was still basically operating in the flesh. He wasn't really being led by the Spirit. He was just doing stuff. This Selecting Matthias, I think, was about like him saying, let's build three tabernacles for you, Jesus. You know, one for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. It was just like 
Let's, let's do this. You know, this would be a good thing. So the upper room, they were waiting on the promise from the Father. And then the day of Pentecost came. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And Peter and all of the, the other disciples, 120 of them in the upper room, they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues. They were empowered. That's why they went there and waited because Jesus said, go there. He said, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel, but I want you to wait until you've been endued with power. That means you've been clothed in power. You've been given this miraculous power that indwells you that will change everything about the way you live and function and operate. Yeah. The day of Pentecost, they received that power and they began to go out and uh, they were praising God. They were speaking in a language they didn't know, caused quite a stir and uh, you know, some people began to accuse him of being drunk and knuckleheads and crazy. And Peter stood up. There were 12 of the apostles there. But Peter stood up and said, hey, here's what's going on. And he began to tell them about Joel 2 and how the, it was prophesied that God was going to pour out a spirit on all flesh. And he began to talk about Jesus, who they had crucified. And he had risen from the dead. And now he was alive. And he was going to build this church and the people became so convicted they said well what do we need to do and Peter said you need to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus and be baptized so that you can live for him that your lives will be changed and 3,000 people were saved that day this is the different Peter this is not the Peter that's operating in the flesh this is the Peter who's operating in the fullness of the spirit makes a lot of difference Peter went on after Pentecost then. He, he did some other things that are noteworthy as far as being a part of the foundation of the early church. Uh, he shared the gospel to the Gentiles, the house of Cornelius in Acts 10. He got this vision and he understood after seeing the vision three times. And by the way, you know, that's scriptural. Let everything be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Three times. Saw the vision understood that God was telling him something about uh, unclean and clean and, and he perceived that something was going on, something was changing. About that time, knock on the door, guy from Cornelius' house saying, hey, you know, my, my master wants you to come and, and talk to us about, about Jesus. They were Gentiles. And Peter perceived because he had the Holy Spirit living within him now, Peter perceived that God was doing something different. And so he went and he preached the gospel to them. And while they were, while they were praying to receive Christ and trying to get their lives right out, the Holy Spirit fell on them. They were baptized in the Spirit too. And they began to speak in tongues and prophesy and glorify God. Peter was a different guy after the day of Pentecost because he was operating in the power of the Spirit. And then, even though Peter had shared the gospel with the Gentiles, you know, some of the church didn't necessarily agree with that because they didn't all get that same revelation. They didn't all see that same vision. And they were all Jews. You know, all the disciples were Jews. And they didn't think it was okay to deal with Gentiles. And so when Peter did that, it was like breaking rank. I mean, it was different. And so... He had to go back and give account to all the elders back in the church and tell the other 11. And so when he did, they said, well, you know, based on what you're telling us, 
we perceive that God has opened the door of salvation to the Gentiles, just like he did with us. He's poured out a spirit on them, just like with us. And so it changed everything about the way the early church was operating. They perceived it because the Holy Spirit was indwelling them and they weren't walking and acting out of their flesh and their basic natural intellect. They were acting out of the revelation of the Spirit in their lives. The Word of God became alive to them because the Spirit was revealing the truth of it. They weren't operating in just intellectualism and legalism. They were hearing from the Spirit. So they approved what Peter did and so... Uh, the, whole, the whole growth of the church changed because now people were willing to go and talk to Gentiles before it had just been the Jews. And so even though Peter did great, it wasn't too long until Paul had to rebuke him for, uh, you know, for hanging out with the Gentiles until the Judaizers came along and then he, he wouldn't hang out and associate with them. It's like, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to leave you all alone because my Jewish friends are here and I've got to keep my image up. You know, we're all subject to failures and flaws. No one is perfect all the time. I'm not perfect ever. Uh, surely not all the time. So Peter was still a man. He still, had, he still had issues. He was still learning and growing and maturing. He was learning how to hear from the Lord, but he, he wasn't hearing the Lord perfectly on everything. You know, when you get a vision, that's pretty obvious. But when you're just having to hear a small, still, small voice in your head and understand what that means and respond to it, that's a little more challenging. The visions are real obvious. You know, the thundering voice from heaven, you know, you can hear that. I mean, you can be pretty thick and hear that. I mean, I could even hear a donkey speaking if he spoke to me, and I would understand that God was doing something significant. But if it's just up to me to hear God's voice... I have to really be in tune and I have to really discern if I'm hearing from God or not. So Peter was a different guy after the day of Pentecost. And then Paul, when he was talking about uh, some of the things that were going on and there, and there were some Judaizers that were coming around behind him, he was going to different cities and preaching the gospel. People were getting saved. And then here would come these Jews along and say, well, you've got to be circumcised and you've got to follow the law and you've got to do all these things. And Paul went back to Jerusalem and, and he said, look, can we settle what needs to happen here? And they talked about it. He told them what God had been doing and they said, okay, we're cool. We'll, we'll go with that. Let's just ask them, let's do this. Let's just tell them, don't, don't eat meat that's been offered to idols. Don't eat blood and avoid idolatry and, uh, and sexual immorality. If they do that, we'll receive them and it's all good. And Paul made this statement. He said, I went back to, to talk to him at Jerusalem. It was James and Peter and John who seemed to be the pillars of the church. But Peter was foundational. There's no question about it. He was very significant in the early church. But you notice that Paul didn't say it was Peter, James, and John. He said it was James, Peter, and John. And Peter did stand up and say stuff a lot of times. But when they went back to that Jerusalem council, it was James. It was James, the brother of the Lord, who actually stood up and said, okay, I believe this is what God's telling us to do. And they all agreed. So Peter was foundational, but he wasn't the foundation. That's why I told you all that. 
the foundation, the rock is Jesus Christ. Peter was foundational, but he wasn't the foundation. So he was a piece of the rock, Petros, a little piece, a little chip, a little stone. Jesus is Petra, the rock, the foundation, the mountain of rock, the one that everything is supported by. And if you look at these notes, we're not going to read all this and do all this again. We talked about it last week, but uh, Paul says that Jesus was the rock that followed the children of Israel in the wilderness. And I don't think he meant that, you know, the rock literally, you know, followed them around, but he was their provider. He was the rock. He was the one that gave them water. He was the one that gave them food. He was the one that gave them everything they needed. He protected them and he went with them wherever they went. And that was showing us how it was going to be in our relationship with the Lord so that we could understand that more clearly. They didn't understand that. They didn't know anything about the Christ. They just knew they were hungry and thirsty. But when they were satisfied, they, they thanked God for it probably, but they really, they couldn't see anything beyond just their own selfish physical needs. We have a chance to look backwards and see the present and see the future. And we can see that God was working then in a way so that we could understand our relationship with, with him and his provision for us in a greater way. And we can see how he's going to take care of us today and tomorrow and next week, next year, 20 years from now. And there's no reason to sit around worrying and fretting about what's it going to be like in 10 years when I... Maybe I'm, you know, I'm, my health is gone and I can't take care of myself. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Why would you want to worry about that now? Why not just know that God has you and you are his and he's going to take care of you. And when the time comes, it'll be okay. And if you have to suffer a little bit, he'll give you the grace. If you have to do without a little bit, he'll give you the grace. If you have to endure some hardships, he'll give you the grace. And if he chooses to bless you and, and make it all smooth and easy, he'll give you the grace to enjoy that and be merciful and kind and thoughtful about it. God is in control. And all those things will be all right. We don't have to figure it all out for ourselves and with our own intellect because Jesus is the rock. Amen. And he has following us around, giving us everything that we need all the time. He's the cornerstone of the church. He's their architect, the designer. And by the way, when he was with those disciples for nearly three years, he was designing the builders and the church. He was designing and planning all of that because he was training them and he was showing them how it was going to work. They didn't understand most of it at the time. I mean, they, he sent them out, sent the 12 out. They went out and did some ministry and come back. Woo! man it was great you know he sent 70 out they came back oh man it was great but they didn't really even understand you know they were just thinking wow you know look we, we were able to do these cool things because one of them you know some guy was preaching or teaching uh, and, but he wasn't with them and they said well he's not with us Lord do you want us to call fire down and consume him and it's like wow you guys don't even know what kind of people you are you don't know what manner of spirit you are you don't, you don't get anything about this because they were just operating in their flesh, in their natural intellect. They were doing the best they could. 
It didn't seem very good sometimes, but they were doing the best they knew how. Christ is the architect. He's also the foundation. He's the builder. He's the head. And the gates of hell will not prevail against him building his church. That's what he told Peter. He said, I'm going to give you, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen. I've been looking at that word key and I can't figure it out because when we talked about that first week, Jesus being the key of knowledge, the Greek word is klase and it's, you know, spelled real clearly. It's singular. And in this verse, the Greek word is klase. It's spelled exactly the same, but it's plural. So I don't understand enough about Greek to know, but uh, whether it's key or keys, it really doesn't matter. Because if you have the key to the kingdom, it doesn't matter if you've got one key or a whole pocket full of keys. You're getting in, right? Now, you know, there may be, there may be keys, you know, maybe a whole mess of them. And it may just be a key. Jesus is the key. You're not getting in except through him. And like Peter, once you make that commitment, once you become born again, you have the key to the kingdom of heaven. You have access into the kingdom. And that's what, um, that's what this is really all about. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against Jesus building his church. The gates, I've never seen a gate come after you. You know, they mostly, they're, they're, they're stuck. You know I mean? They are permanent. They don't come away from the wall or from the fence or the city. Gates are defensive. The gates of hell, they don't come charging out, you know, to do battle with you. The idea is that we are going to be doing battle against the gates of hell and they're not going to be able to prevail or stop us. We're going to win and we're going to be able to pull people out of the pathway to hell and we're going to be able to lead them into the way of salvation. That's what Peter was told that day. And Jesus said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom and you, you are going to be able to go out and do business in my name and the gates of hell will not prevail. They'll not be able to stop you. Christ has conquered death, hell, and the grave. You know, we don't have, we don't have to have a fear of death. We don't have a fear of death. As believers, we should, we should just look at death like this is just a transition. Man, it's a promotion. I go from this life to that life, and it's just one smooth transition. Boom, I'm there. We don't have to worry about the hell part of it because Christ has conquered that. Hell has no claim on us anymore. As believers, it has no claim on us. And the grave cannot hold us because it doesn't have the power to hold us, just like it couldn't hold Jesus. Jesus conquered all that and he made this way and he asked us to go and do business in his name. And he assured us that he would go with us and that he would never leave us and that he would give us the power and the authority that we need to operate and do business in his name. <clears throat> the keys represent access. And that's, uh, I think that's significant because once Peter understood I have access into, into all of the kingdom. 
I mean, I'm not just on the outside looking in. I'm, I can go right in there. I can go right in with the Father. I can go right in there and see everything in the spiritual realm. I'm not on the outside looking in, just trying to figure it out with my natural mind, walking around with blinders on, you know, stubbing my toe and falling and tripping and, you know, walking through, you know, tree limbs and spider webs and all that business. I can go right into the very presence of God. The veil is gone. Peter began to understand that because he was understanding that everything about his ministry changed. So the, the keys represent access, locking and unlocking. This is what Paul says in Colossians 4, verse 3. Meanwhile, pray for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I'm also in chains. He was asking people to pray for him so that a door would be opened, unlocked, so that he could preach the gospel and do the things that God was calling him to do. He said, I feel like I'm called to do this, but I've got this door in front of me that's locked. It won't allow me to go through, but pray for me. Pray that God will open this door, unlock it. We have the keys to unlock those doors. It may not happen instantly. It may not happen exactly the way you want, but God has given us access into the spiritual things. Revelations 3.8, Jesus talking to the church. He said, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut that door. For you have a little strength. You've kept my word and you've not denied my name. When Jesus opens a door, no one else can shut it. You may be able to shut it. You may be able to not go through it. You may be able to stub your toe when you're going through it or get to hang up on, you know, you get your, your shirt hung on a doorknob or something, you know, and you're halfway in and halfway out. You know, we struggle with all that kind of stuff. God opens doors and then we, we can't figure out how to walk through them. God closes doors, we get a battering ram. You know, I'm going to go through here, you know, and God is trying to protect us with all of his heart and might and saying, look, I closed this door to protect you. And we're just trying to bull our way through. That's, that's the way it is. We have, to, we have to have some discernment. Peter began to perceive what God was doing because the Holy Spirit was in him and helping him to understand what was really going on. So when he saw things, it wasn't just his intellect that was working. Now he began to perceive things with his spirit as well. He began to hear from God and he began to take the word of God and it became alive to him. And he saw things with his spirit as well as seeing it with his physical, natural eyes and understanding. So keys are for access. They lock, they unlock, they open and shut. Isaiah 45 the Lord's talking about Cyrus, king of Persia. He said, Whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. He's saying, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to open the doors and I'm going to make the way and I'm going to tear down the gates of hell and it's going to be okay because you're going to be able to go through it because I've given you access. Now, this is a guy who wasn't even a believer. This is a pagan king. And God was saying, I'm going to do that for you. If he can do it for a pagan king, what can he do for someone who loves him and someone who is submitted to him? Someone who he is calling his child. Someone who is saying, I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Keys also represent authority. 
Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. That is in context referring to demonic activity because the disciples had gone out, they'd cast out demons, they'd healed the sick, they came back and they said, wow, Lord, man, even the demons are subject to us. He said, man, I saw Satan fall like a bolt of lava out of heaven. You don't get excited about that. Get excited about the fact that your name is written in the book of life. But by the way, I have given you authority over all those powers of the enemy. And nothing's going to hurt you or stop you because the gates of hell will not prevail against me building my church. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and spoke to them. This is after the resurrection. He is appearing to the disciples, a large group actually. And he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore. I tell you, you can go because you have been given the authority to go and do. You're not acting in your name you are operating and acting in the delegated authority from the king of the kingdom. We have access into the kingdom and the king is giving us authority to do business on behalf of the kingdom. Authority. You have authority and power. So you have the right to do it, the jurisdiction and the authority to do it, and you have the power to do it because he has enabled you to do it through his spirit. And then binding and loosing. What I want to tell you about this is Matthew 18, 18, Jesus, the whole chapter, he was talking about people sinning and uh, repenting and problems with unconfessed sin, problems with believers that, that want to uh, repent and turn even though you've confronted them about an open sin and then he says surely I say to you whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven so the the rabbis they did uh, a form of binding and loosing it would be more like forbidding and permitting and so they would, they would say, this is okay to do, and this is not okay to do. And everybody would respond to that. In Leviticus 13, the Lord gives the priests the direction about leprosy and all kinds of skin sores and things. And he was very specific. He said, I want you to examine them. If anybody has a problem, you get a place on you that you don't know what it is, go to the priest, they will examine you, and they will determine if it is clean or unclean. They will determine if it's leprosy or not. And he said, the priest will proclaim or pronounce you unclean, and you'll be unclean. And the priest will proclaim or pronounce you clean, and you will be clean. There was, I mean, they were saying, God was telling them, you have the ability, when you do what I tell you, you have the ability to actually proclaim someone as clean or unclean. 
That was, that was in relation to leprosy. But there is this notion that the, that the leaders of the church have the ability to forbid and permit, bind and loose. Jesus said it two different times in Matthew. He said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind will be bound and whatever you loose will be loosed. And that word in the, in the original language, it's an unusual, it's, a very, it's like the only place it's used, but it has a, an unusual meaning. It's like a future perfect tense, blah, blah, blah. It's like all kinds of, I don't even understand all the different parts of uh, grammar that it is. But, uh, so, but what, it, what it really means, literally it means whatever you bound will be bound in the same way that it has already been bound in heaven and whatever you loose will be loosed in the same way that it has already been loosed in heaven and what I believe that Jesus is saying to the early church Peter and the others and all of us he is saying you need to know my word know what I say and then come into agreement with that and you can speak to things you can bind and you can loose because it's already set and done in heaven because if you understand what's going on in heaven and you come into agreement with that God will back what you say and whatever you bind will have been already bound in heaven and you're just proclaiming what God has already done and said and whatever you loose will be loose in the same way so we have the ability as, as believers we have the ability to speak life or death in some ways. I mean, if you choose to say bad things, you're speaking death. You're speaking destruction. I mean, I don't want to do that. I want to speak life. I want to be speaking good things. I want to bring, bring people into the kingdom, not discourage them. I want to do things that will help people get free and be loosed. So the way that we preach the gospel then, the way that we share the good news can loose people from a life of sin and bondage and set them free to follow the Lord. And when, when the church sees someone that's misbehaving, someone that doesn't want to do right, and you, and you talk to them and you beg and plead with them, please, you know, repent, turn from this, and they say no, then we also have the right as a body to say, I'm sorry, but, you know, we're, just, we're not going to let you come and worship with us anymore if you're an open sinner. And I, I don't really know what that open sin would be, but if something were to be so horrible that we could agree that we don't want them to fellowship with us because of it, we would have to do that. Paul said if you do that, it's you turn them over to Satan so that they could have a destruction of their physical lives and their lives would be all messed up and they would realize that they're, they've lost out and they would become repentant and they would come back to the Lord. I don't, I don't believe in excommunication as such, but... But that was something that was in, it, it was actually a holdover from the Jewish faith because they were big into that. You know, God told them over and over. He said, if, you know, if someone does this, you know, they're, they're to be cast out. And sometimes it would, be, it would be by stoning. I mean, they would literally take their life and other times they would just say, you can't be part of the assembly anymore. You can't be part, part of us anymore because you're not, you're not obeying God. So binding and loosing, it does say whatever. 
whatever you bind and whatever you lose. But I think we need to be trying to figure out what God is saying, what God is doing, and then our binding and loosing will be in agreement with heaven. And that's what Jesus told his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth just as it is in heaven. It's the same principle. When we come into agreement with heaven, when we come into agreement with God's word and God's plan, then we can begin to speak. We can begin to act on that and we can know that he is going to support what we do. If you're just out there doing your own thing, acting presumptuously, then you, you know, you're just doing it in your own wisdom and strength and power. And I can't heal anyone. I can't save anyone. I can't change anyone. If, I, if I'm speaking presumptuously, not only am I sinning, but I mean, I'm, I'm going to fall on my face because I cannot do anything in my own strength. But in the power of the Spirit, all things are possible. So here's, here's the final thing I want to say to you about the keys. I believe there's two keys. The first one is being born again. And the second one is being baptized in the Spirit. And when you, when you enter into the kingdom of God, when you access the kingdom by being born again, and then you access into the fullness of the Spirit by being baptized in the Spirit, you're operating in all of the power and authority that's available to you, and you're able to do kingdom business. And, and then it just becomes a matter of you understanding that you have to come into agreement with heaven. So when Jesus told Peter, I will give you the keys. He didn't say, I'm giving them to you right now. He said, I will give you the keys. And it was only after Peter became born again, it was only after Peter became baptized in the Spirit that he really began to have the keys and access all the power of God and all that God was saying and doing. And he began to understand what God was, was saying and doing so that he could begin to bind and loose. I mean, Peter... He was a pretty cool dude. I mean, early on, he was walking around praying for people, and it said sometimes just his shadow would cast over someone and they'd be healed. And so much so that they began to take cloths, you know, and, and send them out to people and saying, you know, Peter, Peter prayed this or Peter touched this or, you know, I mean, he wasn't charging them, you know, five bucks for those prayer cloths, but, uh, but you know, what can I say? America's filled with capitalism, right? Uh, it, that's the American way. But that, there is truth to that. Peter was, he was very instrumental in the early church. But he's not the rock. And the big difference in Peter from the time that he was walking with Jesus in the flesh and when he was walking in the baptism of the Spirit is that it was done by the Spirit. It's all about the Spirit. Now, John 20, 21, Jesus, he, he saw the disciples and he, you know, he was ro risen from the dead. And I think every time he appeared to people after he was risen from the dead, they probably, you know, they, you know, they were looking at what they thought was a ghost or something. It's like, <laughs> you know, and he always would say, peace, you know, peace. It's okay. It's me. Peace. So he, he greeted him. He said, peace. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. In the same way as the Father sent me, in the same way that he sent me, I'm sending you. 
That's a whole sermon all to itself. Just think about that. In the same way that Jesus came, he's sending us. He came as a, you know, as a lamb to the slaughter. He came as someone that was to serve, not to be served, to give his life, ransom for many. He came in the weakness of his physical flesh, even though he was God. In the same way, I send you. And it says he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And I'm, you know, I think he was talking to them specifically about, not, not just them, but I mean, in general, he was talking to believers, saying, You have the power to forgive sin. If someone sins against you, you have the power to forgive that. And you have the power to hold it. If you hold it, that unforgiveness is going to make you, it's going to make you miserable and cause all kinds of problems in your life. If you forgive, then you release them and you release yourself. I personally don't see this as being part of the binding and loosing. I know some people do. That's fine. I just believe that this was... Someone sins against you, you have the power to forgive them. I don't have the power to forgive everybody's sins. Only Jesus has that power. But now, in this sense, if people come into this body and they come forward or are at their seat and they say, I want to, I want to invite Jesus into my life, and they, they confess their sins, they pray and they, they repent and they genuinely have a conversion experience, I can say, you're forgiven, you're born again, you're good to go. I am a representative of the kingdom. We all are, aren't we? We have the ability to, to do that. Worship team, y'all can come back. Luke 24, verse 45. This is, uh, Jesus had appeared to some followers, and they didn't recognize him at first, and uh, he opened the scriptures to him and says he began to expound everything to him. And it says he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high he said I'm sending it don't go out and try to do it in your own strength because it's going to be a failure wait until you get the power once you get the power then go and do the work and the difference between Peter before Christ's crucifixion after the resurrection and after the day of Pentecost was the Holy Spirit Zechariah 4, 6. This is the word of the Lord. Not by my, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The difference in Peter before and after was it was the Lord. It was the Holy Spirit. We have that same gift, that same power available to us. That doesn't mean we're all going to have people getting healed from our shadow and sending out prayer cloths. It just means that we have authority 
and access into the things of the kingdom. And we're supposed to be operating in that. Not, not just sitting back and letting the preacher do it. Not just sitting back and letting, you know, some TV evangelist do it or whatever. We are all supposed to be operating in the power and the authority of the kingdom because we've all been given the keys. The keys, Jesus Christ, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's stand and worship.
my eyes Feel the Father's heart Make me whole Resurrect my heart Bring your light back to my eyes Feel the Father's heart Spirit on us, Lord, that we would walk, talk, and live and function in the power and anointing of your Spirit, Lord. That we wouldn't rely on our flesh or our intellect, but we would operate in the spiritual realm as we are led. And as we come into agreement with you and your word and your kingdom, Lord, your will would be done here just like it is in heaven, Lord. And everything that is bound has already been bound in heaven. And we want to bind those things here. And everything that's loosed in heaven, it's already been loosed in heaven. We want to loose them here. We want to hear from you. Operate in the fullness and power of your spirit. Setting captives free. Loosing them from their bondage. Binding the enemy that tries to work and bring hindrance and and interference into our lives and our loved ones and this Mm -hmm. nation, Lord. So many opportunities that we can operate in the power and the authority that you've given us through those keys lord keys of knowing you being filled and anointed by your spirit yes if you have any special prayer needs and you'd like someone to lay hands on you or anoint you with oil you're welcome to come if you need to have a prayer for anything it's fine just come and and, uh, you don't have to confess your whole life just say i need prayer and someone will meet you and pray with you And I just want to encourage you. Let's be different. Let's be different. Let's don't be the same person that we've always been. Let's acknowledge that those keys to the kingdom have been given to us. That wasn't just Peter. It wasn't just the original 12. They've been given to us. We've been given that same commandment to go into all the world and preach the gospel He said, I have all authority in heaven and earth. Go, therefore. We don't need to hold back. We don't need to be fearful. We don't need to be timid. We don't need to be intimidated. We need to be bold. Because nothing the enemy can do can prevail against Jesus Christ building his church. And he does that through us, his people. He builds it, but he uses us. Otherwise, he would just... Wave his hands and the entire globe would be automatic, born again. He needs us to share the gospel. He needs us to do the work with our hands and our feet, our mouths, our hearts. Lord, we need you, more and more of you. Change us, stir us. Call us, Lord. Make us aware that you have an eternal destiny for each one of us. 
You've called each one of us some place in your body that only we can fill, only we can meet the needs that you've called us to meet, Lord. And so cause us to rise up and be the people that you've called us to be in Jesus' name. mercy 
time we end the service, we give this uh, ironic blessing. That's really, it's really binding and loosing. As your pastor, I'm saying to you, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Yes. Thank Go you, and be free. Hallelujah. Be loosed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We bind the, all the activities of the enemy that would work against you and you are loosed. Amen. To receive all the fullness of God's poured out. Hallelujah. From those open windows of heaven. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Go and be blessed. Have a great week. Let's go get it done. Amen? Amen. All right.